Well, we've come to the end of the book of Colossians. Not nearly as uh, dramatic as going through a year and a half in Genesis, but uh, I believe that the power of the message of Colossians hopefully will remain with you for years to come. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Um, It's mystery enough to think of Christ to be the one from whom and in whom and through whom and to whom are all things. But it's even more glorious to think that you are with him. And it's also glorious to know that your union with Christ does not attain through great acts of devotion, uh, unending prayers. It's just simple faith in Christ. You don't need secret rituals. Through faith in Christ, you are seated with him in the heavenlies. Every power that would stand against you in the universe has been overcome, both powers external to you and the evil powers of your old nature. You have the privilege of calling upon God as a heavenly father and not just executioner and judge. But I find it really surprising that the book of Colossians really ends with people. A lot of Paul's letters do that, but Colossians, for such a short book, seems to do it in a lengthy way. As people continue to live in real-life situations that challenge their hearts every day, this is how it ends. This is what Paul is talking about. And Paul realizes what Jesus said in Matthew 24, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Paul understands this. He understands that people need encouragement. They need encouraging words, they need encouraging actions, and they need encouraging prayers. So with that in mind, with this theme of encouragement that runs through this ending of the book of Colossians, will you follow along with me as we read verses 7 through 18? Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother. And a faithful minister and a fellow slave in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose. That you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, 
The cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Paul is confined as a prisoner. He cannot go to the Colossians at this time. So he sends his letter with a courier. There is no such thing as a postal service at that time. You may or may not like your mailman, but you most likely do not have as much affection for your mailman as Paul had for Tychicus. He says he is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow slave in the Lord. Now, being the fact that Tychicus actually carried the letter, we don't know if he actually read the letter before he carried it. You can imagine this being unveiled in the church setting, someone standing up to read it, and you may be hearing these words about you for the first time. Think about that. How would you have felt if it wasn't Tychicus, but your name put in there? I guarantee you, well, some of you might have been embarrassed, but you would have been encouraged. Paul's not using flattery. He's being truthful. He is openly articulating the truth that he feels. And he wants the Colossians to listen to Tychicus when he delivers the letter, so he testifies how much Tychicus means to him. He could have just said a brother, but he says beloved. It reminds me of the way that the apostles spoke about John with Jesus. He was the apostle whom Jesus loved. Paul feels an intense affection for Tychicus. But not only is he a, a, a beloved brother, he is also a faithful minister. Now, Tychicus has been Paul's partner in the ministry since Acts 20. And Paul trusted Tychicus. He doesn't hesitate to send Tychicus to do a job that he would have liked to do himself. And we're not saying that Tychicus was exactly like Paul. They could have been very different personalities. But he believes that Tychicus will deliver the same message that he would have delivered 
had he been there himself. He is a faithful minister of Christ. And as I was meditating upon this, this is not a lie, it was not something I just put into the sermon to do it. it as I was meditating on this, my mind immediately turned to Danny Beck. Danny is a beloved brother to me. And he's also a faithful minister. He is someone that I implicitly trust to declare Christ when he ministers. I trust him with your souls. But it's not really beloved brother or faithful minister that most made me think of him. It was fellow slave. The word is sin doulos, means with slave. You know, you've heard the phrase partner in crime. This is a, a partner in servitude to Christ. And that's really how I feel about Danny. It doesn't take you long, if you know Danny well, that he will do what he's called upon to do. And that says a lot. Many people get in the way of service because they're not humble enough to do what is needed. It's a beautiful thing. And I thank you, Danny, for being my beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a co-slave with me of Jesus Christ. You see, I talk about encouraging actions, encouraging words, and encouraging prayers. And in this sense, Tychicus has lived his life in such a way that it has encouraged Paul. And then Paul turns around and then he uses his words to encourage Tychicus. That is the theme that threads through this whole passage. It is not just Christ in you as an individual, but Christ living in you and you and you. And therefore you are able to give encouragement to one another with the encouragement that you have in Christ. Paul says, I have sent him to you for this purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. The word for encourage is parakaleo, and I don't like to go too much into Greek stuff. I don't care if you're a Greek scholar, but, but it's, it's to call alongside, and it is the, the same word that is used of the Holy Spirit. He is the one called alongside you to help you in your journey in this life. It can mean anywhere from comfort to beat you over the head. I mean, it's like exhort to console. I mean, it can be anything in between. That's what it is, because there's times we need all those, right? But it is to give courage to another. That's what it is. It's interesting, the book of Colossians only has one veiled reference to the Holy Spirit. Really strange, in the entire book, it only does that once. But it is the Holy Spirit living in you which enables you to be a paraclete to somebody else. Just as God comes alongside you, you are to come alongside others in the faith. In Colossians 2, Paul makes it clear that it is the body of Christ being knit together in love that does the encouraging. It's the bond of love produced by the Holy Spirit in you, by Christ being in you. That is what it is. 
And Paul's encouragement in this letter has been theologically to get them refocused, re-centered upon Christ because Christ alone is the true encourager. You're not really encouraging someone if you're not pointing them to Christ, in other words. People need Jesus. Our previous pastor, Sandy Kerno, put together like a purpose statement for the church. It's in some of our uh, new membership materials. But it basically is this, and it, it, it's good. It, we gather. Why do we come together? Why do we gather together? He said it's to worship, but, but basically to encourage faith and repentance. That's why we gather. And then we scatter to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission in our various areas of influence. You see, it's not only the preaching and the teaching should encourage you in your faith and repentance. It is your interactions with one another. And I want to make just a quick focus statement on the youth here. So if you weren't paying attention to youth, try to pay attention. Youth, you desperately need people to encourage you to pursue Christ. But I'm going to tell you this. There's probably nobody worse at encouragement than youth. It sounds like a criticism. It's just, it's just the way it is. Kids want so much to have other people like them that they will trample on anybody in order to try to get that. And rather than encouragement of people, it, it's gossip and slander that usually comes easy. And I just want to tell you, youth, that God wants more from you. He is working to transform the way that you relate to your friends. The next time you find yourself tearing someone down, just stop. Remember that Christ lives in you. And his purpose in you is to build you up in him. And so your purpose is to build others up in Christ as well. Enough said with the youth. Having the goal of encouragement is only the beginning. Knowing how to encourage is a lifelong struggle. And I'll let you in on a little secret, young people. Adults haven't figured it out yet either. You see, in order to encourage someone, you have to know something of the truth of the gospel itself. But here's where we fall short. You also need to know something of the person with whom you're talking. Wisdom is actually applying the truth of Christ to the specific need of the person with whom you're talking. And this is such a difficult thing, and I believe it is difficult. And if I get something across to you in this message today, I'm not saying that today you figure out, oh, I want to be an encouragement, and tomorrow it'll just come natural. It will be a lifelong struggle. But that being said, it is so important to Christ that his, his people encourage one another that in Romans 12, he, Paul actually lists that there's a gift of the Spirit called encouragement. And I would just tell you that, that we're all called to, 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 uh, to be encouraging to one another, 
But there are some people that just seem to excel at it better than others, and that's okay, because God says he gives grace for them to be able to do that. Encouragement has to be founded on truth. You can't lie to people. You can't flatter them just to make them feel good in the moment. But I think sometimes we can take this too far and we fall to the other side and we think, well, I gave them the truth, so I don't know. If it wasn't encouraging, I guess that's their problem. True, right? You see, I don't think we're, we're willing to take the time to listen and try to understand what's going on in the other person. And often the effect of our words, rather than being encouragement, is actually discouragement. I want you to think about a few things. If someone is deeply struggling with their faith, would they come to you? Are you someone that they would feel safe to tell you things about themselves that are not pretty? And after being with you, would others testify that whatever they said, I knew that they cared about me, and I know that they're encouraging me to press on with Christ? Or do people feel like you always have an agenda? This is another challenging question. Are you personally concerned? Are, are you personally convinced that Jesus Christ is who everyone needs? In other words, do you craft your encouragement around Christ? Are you trying to take them to Christ to somehow help them see the beauty of Christ, the greatness of Christ, the holiness of Christ, something that they can latch onto him in their time of need? And I'm not talking about cliches. That's easy to do. Honestly trying to think about how Christ could somehow minister to this person in that their situation. I would dare say, not everyone, but most of you probably has in your mind someone that you would go to in your darkest hour. You see, the world has forgotten Tychicus, but I can guarantee you that when we get to glory, we will have a long list of people that have been encouraged by Tychicus. Moving on, this theme of encouragement continues with Onesimus. Onesimus is our faithful and beloved brother. And you might just think, well, okay, that's what he said about Tychicus. Only it's not what he said about Tychicus. He didn't say a fellow slave. Why does he not say a fellow slave? Because Onesimus was a slave. And you think, oh, well, I could have brought that up. And I'm, I don't think I'm reading into this. I think you see in Paul enough of a sensitivity 
to the situation, he's actually, there's going to be a couple letters being sent with Colossians. Uh, Philemon's going to go as well, the, the letter of Philemon. And Paul's going to actually encourage Philemon to free Onesimus. So Paul's sensitive enough to the church to focus on other things because he knows this is a sensitive area. You ever, you ever not say something about someone because you just know it's sensitive and you don't want to ruffle the feathers too much there? Paul did it. <clears throat> if you want to be an encourager, you must, and I know you could take this too far, but you must have some concern for how your words affect the other person. Now, Tychicus and Onesimus are filling the Colossians in on the details of Paul's situation. This is another encouraging actions. You see, Paul wanted his life to be an encouragement to them. How is that going to be an encouragement? Well, he is the one promoting to them that if you believe in Jesus Christ, the one who is over everything, in whom and through whom and to whom all things exist, he's the one that is with you and going to help you have victory and lead you to glory or, in the short run, take you to prison. And Paul doesn't want the Colossians to think that just because he's in prison, that all the things that he's taught to them are somehow false. They're even more true. And I'm telling you that we do draw encouragement from others. If someone comes to me and says, I can't do such and such. I don't think I can do it. I say, whew, that's tough. But I can also say, hey, let me tell you about this example of so-and-so who's in a similar situation to you, and they've persevered. You see, I think encouragement needs to be authentic. It doesn't mean you're just, you know... I, what I think of authenticity and what has encouraged me over the years is someone that lets me in that their obedience to Christ didn't come easy. Maybe they're obeying Christ at this moment, but they're also willing to let you know of the failures and the pitfalls and the struggles, and, and it helps you to go, oh, I can relate to that. If all you ever give other people impression of is the victory, then they never really can say, oh, I'm struggling, I'm not experiencing that, so I cannot relate to you. And they're actually discouraged. But if you let them in on the struggle, there's encouragement. Now Paul moves on in verse 10 to three men who are known for their Jewish heritage, Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These, he's, this is a quote, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. What you need to understand here is that this men of the circumcision is kind of a loaded term. In Galatians, Paul speaks of someone called the circumcision party. And it's people of Jewish descent, but it can be this negative derogatory term, like they're actually saying, separate from the Gentiles and we don't like you. And Paul is here basically saying, no, these are not men of the circumcision party. These are, these are men of the circumcision. They're Jewish in descent, but they have been a great comfort to me. 
I find that uh, Mark is actually a, a um, really encouraging. Try to do this relatively briefly. But in Acts 15, Mark, or John Mark, was the cause of the splitting of Barnabas and Paul. And basically, Paul did not believe that John Mark was up to snuff. I mean, that's ultimately the issue. It's not like he was in some sin or anything. He just didn't make the cut. And Barnabas said, oh, he does make the cut. God's doing work in his life, and we want to be with him. And Paul and Barnabas fought so much of it that they split. And as it turns out, Barnabas was the one who was justified. There's a reason why he's called the son of encouragement. You see, encouraging someone is believing in them when there is reason to doubt. And ultimately, you're not really just believing in them, are you? You're believing in the grace of Christ working in them. But Paul is is saying that John Mark's with him in 2 Timothy. Paul says he's useful to me for ministry. Peter says the same thing. He calls Mark his beloved son. So here's a guy who was at some point doubtful whether he could be useful to anybody. Now he's useful to Paul. He's useful to Peter. Guess what he writes? The Gospel of Mark. Pretty encouraging that someone who Paul once thought would not be a faithful laborer actually is extremely faithful. And I would just encourage you to remember always that the people with whom you're interacting are in process. Remember that. Hopefully they'll remember that about you. Believing in someone will it sometimes cause disappointment. It'll hurt sometimes because they will fail you. But I'm telling you, when someone comes to you and says, thank you for believing in me and what Christ is doing in me, that feels awesome. Now in verse 12, Paul speaks of three more men. He speaks of them from a Gentile background. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Now Luke is easy. He's the beloved physician, wrote Acts and Luke. So we, you know, we don't know much about Demas. But I'm going to tell you a few things about Epaphras. <clears throat> Epaphras is the minister who first brought the gospel to the Colossians. He had labored to build that church. And for whatever reason, Epaphras feels the need to visit Paul in prison. 
I mean, Jesus does tell us to encourage our brother or visit our brothers and sisters who are in prison. He does tell us to do that, so that's a pretty good thing. So he, he goes to prison to, to encourage Paul, and what does he get as a reward? He lands himself in prison as well. In Philemon 1.23, it says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. So the man who's active in planting the church, he's worked hard for the Colossians, not, even the, not just the Colossians, but the Laodiceans and the people from Hierapolis. They would have known his labor. Guess what he's doing now? Stuck in prison. I don't know about you, but this would be hard for me. I would not, this would, this would not be good. At least humanly speaking. Hope it doesn't happen to me. But look at what he does. Epaphras is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. So you have encouraging actions, you have encouraging words, and here you have encouraging prayers. And I believe that it was Epaphras's love and concern interacting with the Colossians and these other believers in the area that makes him burdened for them. And we're all called to pray for all people. We don't all we can't don't have time to do all that. But man, if you have someone that comes up to you and tells you that they have been praying for you every day, give them a big hug. This, Epaph- this um, Epaphras is struggling in prayer for them. Paul's praying for them. He doesn't say, I'm, you know, he, he's saying, this guy, he doesn't quit. And he wants them to know how much he's praying for, for them. And he's not just praying, well, my, my preaching professor would call it an organ recital. Uh, meaning you pray for this organ or that organ or, you know, that kind of thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. We prayed for Tom's back and John's back, okay? Nothing wrong with that. But your prayer shouldn't be just an organ recital. Look at what he says. He's struggling that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. And when you consider that he's in prison because of something he did good, you think he might doubt the will of God? He's saying, you be fully assured in the will of God. God is in control. You you stand mature in Christ. That's what he wants for them. And he's praying regularly for them. Paul has spoken about those who would carry the letter. He's spoken about people who is remaining with him. Now he's going to talk about encouragement beyond And I like this because Paul is a team player. A lot of times we just think of Paul just going around doing his ministry all by himself. He is a team player. Got a team with him. And he also understands that there is ministry happening. There is encouragement happening that is really beyond him. Beyond his direct influence. And he begins with Laodicea. And this, obviously, Laodicea was made famous in the book of Revelation because they're the lukewarm church and stuff. But this is Laodicea just beginning. It's like 40 years before that time. And um, 
He just says, give my greetings. Give my greetings to them. And he's heard about this, this woman who lets the church meet in her house, Nympha. And he's like, yeah, encourage her. You know, t- tell her, I'm, I'm thankful for her. And in verse 16, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. So there's a simple greeting, there's a sharing of sound teaching, and there's an encouragement to a fellow pastor. So I don't want to overplay this greeting too much. I just want you to know that sometimes you just look at someone who's just kind of an acquaintance, and yet you know that they love Christ, and you're happy for them. I don't know many of the pastors in Burke County. I've been here 30 years, and I still don't know many of them. But if I hear of a pastor that is like, maybe I'm at an event, and he has a really nice prayer, or he says some words, you know, I want to go up to him and say thank you. Right? Uh, You know I'm strong in my convictions. I I like our distinctiveness as a Reformed church. I I get all that. but, But if somebody's ministering Christ, I'm happy for it to happen you should be too it's interesting that paul actually says uh here he mentions this letter that he wants the book of the letter of colossians to be read in laodicea and he wants the letter to the laodiceans to be written in colossi we don't have that letter from laodicea So a couple things about this. One is that this kind of lays the foundation that Paul's letters were not just for the churches in which he wrote. They were for a larger body of Christ. See, you are continuing to be blessed by Paul's letter to the Colossians. And that's a foundational thing that happened in the church. Very quickly, the Pauline letters were collected together and distributed among churches. But it also raises kind of an interesting point that why don't we have the book of Laodicea? And what if we found it? We can talk about that later. I don't have any answers for that. <laughs> um, I want to thirdly look at this, this idea that Paul's talking to a fellow pastor. And sometimes, some of the commentaries I read made it sound like this guy's like, almost rejecting the faith, walking away from the ministry. I I don't know. I think that's a bit of reading into it. In Philemon, he calls him a fellow soldier, so obviously he's someone that's still doing the work. But as someone who's been in the ministry since I was 23 years old, ministers need encouragement. You don't have to assume that an archivist had quit ministering. You just have to assume that he's ministering and he's going to get tired. Just as you get tired in your faith in, in God and walking with, you know, ministers get tired too. And so Paul just says, hey, remind him to fulfill his work. Keep, keep pressing him. Don't just tell him, keep going. In my mind, it's like a cheerleader. And he tells him to fulfill his ministry, like, bring it to completion. Don't quit in the midst of it. And I don't know how he knows that he's not done with his ministry, because, you know, ministers can die, they can retire, different things that happen. 
But obviously Paul says, no, you're in the thick of ministry. You need to keep going. Don't quit. And he says, keep going. So there you have it. Encouraging words, encouraging actions, encouraging prayers. All through this closing. And it's, and it's personal. And it's, it's, yes, you're being brought into other people's personal business. But, but just start thinking more proactively about your own relationships. What people would say about you. Paul, in verse 18, writes his personal touch to the letter. And then he says, remember my chains, grace be with you. Very very short, very brief. He understands that his imprisonment is a challenge to their faith. They may not be in prison yet, but I can guarantee you that if someday someone took me and put me in prison, it would shake you guys. And Paul's saying to them, it's okay. I'm still here and Christ is still on the throne. Very encouraging. Grace be with you. Not just any grace. The grace of the one who sits on the throne of the universe is yours. I don't know what fears you're dealing with. I don't know everything that's happening in you now. But I know that Jesus is still enough. Your trials and your tribulations cannot extinguish the grace of God. So, application, number one, just make it your ambition to encourage somebody. Just If you don't have the goal, you're never going to reach it. You could be doing that in your words. You could be doing that in your prayers. You could be doing that in your actions. But, but just say, Lord, I want to encourage. I want to help somebody in their faith. Secondly, be patient with yourself. We live in a fallen world, and you'll try to encourage someone, and you'll, you'll just, it'll mess up. It's like, it's like you, you plant the garden, and the crop's not that good. Well, keep planting the garden. <laughs> keep trying. Keep, keep doing over and over again, and you will encourage somebody because God will help you. Secondly, if someone has encouraged you, thank them for it. Don't start out being encouraging. Just thank somebody for being encouragement to you. Thirdly, if you are really struggling here today and need encouragement, don't just think, oh, no one understands. No one cares. Find someone. There are times I have people in my mind who I go to at my worst, you know, the, and, and I won't even tell you who they are, but I have them. And sometimes I don't even tell them it's a bad day for me. Sometimes I just want to be near them. Just don't go it alone. Reach out to someone. Colossians is a one-message book. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Your brothers and sisters in Christ who believe in him need to be encouraged with that message. Don't assume that you just believe in Christ and smooth sailing. Every believer will struggle. And I want to tell you from here, but I then want you to tell other people around you, keep going. 
Cling to Christ. He will lead you to glory. Don't quit. And remember that it's not just something we do with one another. You are the light to a dying world. Last week, I did not mention in any detail Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. In 1 Peter 3.15, piggybacks, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Evangelism is not all about just preaching. Evangelism is about living. It's about clinging to Jesus Christ and helping others to see why you need Jesus every day. And if you do that, you will lead people to Christ. Heavenly Father, encourage us. Encourage us in just a few moments through the communion service. Thank you for coming near to us. Make us an encouragement to others. You are truly awesome. Thank you for dwelling in us. Amen.